following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Wow, good morning, Faith Bible Church. How are you doing? Good. I, was, I know you were looking at the kids. I was looking at you. Because you were more interested, well, you, the, the, the cameras, the parents were being so proud, all of that stuff. Just a fun time to see the kids up here. Uh, just a joy to be here. Listen, every time I come up on the stage and look out, there's new faces. I know there's probably a lot of visitors here today because of VBS, but just every week there seems to be new people. And just a joy to see new faces. The Lord is adding to our number here at FBC, and just a, a privilege. And I think for that reason, maybe not everyone of you will know me, so let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Nigel Shaler, and I am one of the elders and pastors here at Faith Bible Church. On a regular week, I am normally busy with biblical counseling and discipleship and shepherding and training, but every now and then, they let me preach a sermon. And, uh, and today is one of those days. We actually have a deep bench, and through the summer, we've got a bunch of guys coming to lead us through some special messages from the Old Testament. And so we've been in a new series through the summer, if you haven't been here, hitting some of the high points of the Old Testament. And I've got to say that uh, I've been excited, Serena's been excited to come back week after week for the next installment, to get the next piece of the puzzle as we go through the Old Testament. And i got to say, too, the, the video guys, Daniel Reimer and Patrick, putting those together, so good, so helpful, uh, kind of connecting the segments as we move through the Old Testament narrative. Today, we are in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, and so you want your Bibles out and you want the notes. Maybe you got those at the door, maybe you downloaded those uh, midweek, uh, digitally, and either way, you want to have those available to you, so grab those, and listen, I want to be upfront and real clear with uh, my, my goals this morning. I have two, two targets. Number one, as a Bible teacher, I really want you to have a solid understanding of the text. I want you to know who these men are, Samuel and Saul and, and David, and I want you to know about God, who sovereignly directs those men and directs the nation as a whole. That's my first goal. Secondly, as a pastor and as a shepherd, I want you to leave today with a really solid trust and commitment to believe God. Does that make sense? Uh, I want you to trust God more than you trust yourself. I want you to rely on his plan rather than lean on your own understanding. And I want you to be absolutely convinced that he knows what he is doing with your life better than you know what you're doing with your life. And I want you to believe without a doubt that God's choices are better than our choices. So those are my targets. Understand the text and understand its implications on our lives in July 2023. Can you believe it's July already? The year is going by so quickly. We are celebrating 4th of July soon. And I have to say, 
as a now a proud U.S. citizen. I am uh, glad to celebrate with you and uh, really excited to do that. But let me, let, let me set the scene for you, okay? We're talking about something that happened 3,000 years ago, way before America, way before Jesus. It's 1,000 years, in fact, B.C., 1,000 years before Jesus Christ came and lived on the earth. And what we find is that the nation of Israel, way back then, had decided for themselves that they wanted a king to rule over them. And they chose a man named Saul. Now, Saul was not God's choice. Saul was the people's choice. Actually, God didn't want Saul, but the people did. And so what the Lord did is he granted their wish and he let events kind of just play out for the next 40 years. I already think that God was trying to teach the nation a lesson. So he gave them Saul for 40 years. Now, in 1 Samuel, we learn that Saul turned out to be really, really bad. I mean, he was a terrible king. He was not a man who loved God. He was not a man who feared God. And as a result of those two heart conditions, he disobeyed God and dishonored God's name. So God rejected Saul from being king over Israel. And that's where we pick up the story today. 1 Samuel 16, and God is giving instructions to Samuel to go to Bethlehem and find and anoint a new king. So let's pick up the story in 16, verse 1. We'll read the text for us this morning. Verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to be mourning over Saul? But I myself have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, because I've chosen for me a king among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will inform you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I say to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And trembling, the elders of the city came to meet him and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And it happened that when they came, he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. Now we'll stop reading there just for a second because I think most of you will know the story. Maybe you learned it in Sunday school, maybe you just have read it in your daily reading through the Bible. And you know that each of Jesse's seven sons come and walk past Samuel, and Samuel passes on each of them. 
None of them meet the, the Lord's criteria. And so then go down to verse 11. So we'll pick up the story there, okay? Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, we'll send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So Jesse sent and brought him in. Now, David was ruddy. That, that just means, by the way, healthy looking, okay? Healthy looking, with beautiful eyes, handsome appearance. And the Lord said, anoint, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Now, I think what we have in these verses is obviously the choosing and anointing of a new king for Israel. God is making a, a course correction for the nation. And he's teaching them that they have to stop trusting in their own choices and start trusting his choices for them. They need to give up on their own plans for their future and do things his way instead. And I think what we have then is four reasons to do exactly that, to trust God rather than trust ourselves. God's people, both then and now in 2023, we all need to learn to stop trusting ourselves and start trusting God. And he gives four reasons to do this. Now, this is especially true when life is difficult. Listen, when circumstances seem overwhelming and the world around you seems to be out of control and relationships are not going the way that you had planned or hoped for or your health is taking a dive, or maybe the health of someone you love is taking a dive and your kids are not turning out the way that you hoped and prayed for and finances aren't necessarily proving to be the security that you wanted or the future is not panning out the way that you think it should or when FBC is still not on the property and you're sick of singing three more years, yeah? Listen, in all of those circumstances, there's one thing that you can hold on to. There's, there's one fact that brings peace of mind, and it's this. God only makes the best choices. In any of those circumstances, we can trust him. We don't need to take over from him. We don't need to question him. We don't need to second guess him. He is always doing what is best. Even when you don't understand what his purposes are, he's still in control of those events and he determines what is best. So I want us all to learn to trust God even more than we have done in the past. Because we're all in a process, amen? And we're all maturing and we're all growing. We need to trust him more than we have done before. So let me give you the first reason. There's four. Here's the first reason why you should believe that the Lord's choices are better than yours. And it's this. It's because he is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. Look at verse 1. 
It said there, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to be mourning over Saul? But I myself have rejected him from being king over Israel. Now the prophet Samuel, he's mourning. I mean, he's sad because at least from his human perspective, Saul did not turn out the way that he had hoped. Saul was the man, actually, when you read back, Saul was the man who had won the popular vote. He, uh, he was a natural leader. He was the tallest man. He was the most handsome man in the nation. He came from good stock. His fathers were awesome warriors, fighters. I mean, he was a, pro, a proven winner. Saul was, get this, the Tom Brady of Israel. That was Saul. I mean, from a human perspective, no one could have selected a better leader. I don't know if you like Tom Brady or not. It doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> Saul was the best, but he's turned out so bad. That's why Samuel is mourning here in chapter 16. The whole situation is just sad. Now, the people, when you read back, the people had selected him out of wrong motives. In fact, it's in your notes. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. It says there that the people wanted a king just like all the other nations had a king. They're looking at the nations and they're like, we want to be like them. Give us a king like they have a king. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 8, they chose a king and in doing so, you know what they were really doing? They were rejecting God as king and saying, we want a human king instead. And how proud were their hearts. How selfishly independent were they thinking in rejecting God and saying, no, we want a human king instead. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. Now, Samuel was aware of that at the time. Uh, Samuel told the people, he said, don't go this way, this is wrong. He told them it's not pleasing to God, but the people forced his hand. And uh, God relented also, and he, he gave the nation what they asked for. He gave them Saul for 40 years. I actually think God was trying to teach the nation a lesson. That's who you want? Here you go. You've got him. 40 years of Saul. Now, the thing with Saul is this, and I don't know, as you read through the story of Saul, sometimes I'm reading and I'm thinking, boy, this, this guy could actually turn out all right. I mean, sometimes he obeys the Lord. Sometimes he does the right things, but at the end of the day, and that's really the, the true picture of a man, isn't it? You, you read to the end of his life, when his true colors are revealed, Saul proved that he was not a man after God's own heart. He was not fully obedient all the time. Instead, Saul was partially obedient some of the time. And when you have a king who's disobedient to God, you know what that king does? He leads the nation into disobedience also. He's not a godly leader. Look at chapter 13. Again, it's in your notes. Verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, he said, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom, Saul, shall not endure. 
The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. As far as God is concerned, he has already moved on. God has already chosen a replacement to Saul. Look at 15 verse 28. Samuel says to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. That's David. Now that is why Samuel is mourning here. I mean, Samuel can't believe just how bad Saul turned out to be. So God comes to Samuel and rebukes him. And he says, Samuel, you've got to stop crying over this guy. I've rejected him, and now we're going to move on. I've got new plans. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord says to Samuel, he says, Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because I have chosen for me a king among his sons. Literally, if we were to look at the original language, it would say this, I have seen a king for me among his sons. Now, let me tell you, FBC, if we're looking for a theme for this morning's text, for today and for this entire passage, it's this. It's God's choice. That's the theme. Now, notice in the text, it says there, I have chosen a king for whom? What does it say? I have chosen a king for me. That's important. This would not be a king for the people. This would, this would not be the people's choice. This would be a king for Yahweh himself. So the Lord tells Samuel to take a horn. The horn is probably cut from a bull's head, maybe off a bull's skull, and then fashioned into a liquid container. You fill that with oil, and then take that oil and use it to anoint the next king. Here's the point. Israel can try all they like to determine their own destiny by choosing their own king, but in the end, God frustrates the plans of men. Why? Because he's got way more in mind than just immediate temporal issues. He chose a king from which town? Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? He chose a king from a, a, no, a, a town that was so insignificant, so small, it was inconsequential. But God chose a king from Bethlehem knowing that that kingly line, the descendants of King David, would ultimately come down all the way to whom? Jesus Christ, the Messiah king from Bethlehem. Here's the point. When God rejected Saul and chose David of Bethlehem, he set in motion a string of events that would ultimately lead to the king of all kings. God has way more in mind than just immediate events. He had Jesus Christ in view. Now listen, God's choices are always better than our choices. We might not understand it. We might not understand why. But listen, he's sovereign. He is God. He is the God of 
history, and he is accomplishing so much more than we could ever imagine. His choices are always the best. Listen, when you're going through a trial and you're concerned about the future and you're seeing things go south, here's the question. Will you trust God's choices? Will you trust him? Will you allow God to be God? Now, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen couples who spend their whole life void of God, and then everything falls apart and kind of in desperation. Finally, they turn to God and they acknowledge him as God, and they choose to repent and trust him and obey him. They let God be God, and it's just a joy to watch. It just is. It's just fun to watch God transform a life. But I've seen the opposite too. People who supposedly have spent their whole life as Christians and then suddenly they start making choices that disregard God and, and, and disregard God's word and they're off making ungodly decisions with no concern for what the Bible says. And it's just so sad. So sad to watch that. Here's the question, Faith Bible Church. How are you going to live your life? Will you trust God? Will you read his word and put it into practice? Will you believe him? Or are you going to do it your own way? I mean, everyone's got to choose. Second reason. Back in your notes. Second reason. Why the Lord's choices are better than our choices is because his instructions are always right. His instructions are always right. In other words, whenever God tells us to do something, he never asks us to sin. His instructions are always good and right and consistent with his holy character. Look at verse 2. So remember, God just told Samuel to go to Bethlehem, but look at Samuel here in verse 2. He says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he's, he will kill me. In other words, how can I go and anoint a new king right now? Saul won't like that very much. It would be like this. Imagine if the Archbishop of Canterbury traveled from London to California and then pushed his way through all of the paparazzi and found Meghan Markle in Santa Barbara and anointed her to be Queen of England. All the time, King Charles is on the throne alive back in London. I mean, that's going to go down like a lead balloon in England, right? Now here, in Samuel's case, when it comes to the incumbent evil King Saul, this could even mean Samuel's life. So I think we understand his concern. So he says, Lord, how can I, do, how can I pull this off? I don't think Samuel's refusing to go. He's just asking for more instructions. Could you give me some help, Lord? So the Lord says in verse 2, Take a heifer with you, that's a cow, and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will inform you what you should do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I say to you. In practical terms, the Lord says to Samuel, now he says, listen, this is how you can pull it off. This is how you get to Bethlehem without setting off all the alarm bells. Do something normal. This is what prophets do. 
they sacrifice to the Lord. No one's going to question that. Now, listen. We'll time out just for a second because there are today some very sad individuals, horrible critics of the Bible. And they look at this, and you know what they do? They accuse God of coaching Samuel to lie. They say God is telling Samuel to tell a white lie in order to be safe in his journey. But that's not what God is doing here. God's not sinning. No way. In fact, James 1.13, again in your notes, says God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt who? Anyone. God doesn't tempt anyone. God never tells us to sin. He never commands deceitfulness. He never wants us to lie. That's because God's instructions are always right, holy, perfect, and consistent with his own character. That's why God's choices are better than ours. Listen, we, there are times, aren't there, when we foolishly think that God's instructions just can't be right. For instance, remember when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? Like, wait, that can't be right. Or remember when God told the Israelites to to kill all of the Canaanites, including the children? Like, that can't be right. Something's, something's wrong. Or even personally, we question God. Wives, you might have asked, why does God command me to like and love and serve my selfish husband who takes me for granted? That doesn't seem right. Not fear. Or husbands. Maybe you've asked, why does God command me to love and understand my wife when all she does is complain? She's like a dripping faucet in my life. It doesn't seem right. It seems better that I should get out of here, Lord. Singles, you might have asked. Why does God restrict me to marrying only another believer? There's so many other choices out there. They can't be right. So restrictive, God. Or employers and employees, you might have complained, why does God command me to pay taxes to a government who seems to spend it on evil things? Can't be right. Surely the Lord has this one wrong. And see, what happens is, these kinds of self-justifying thoughts enter into our minds and then we start to question whether God's commandments are right. And we argue with ourselves. Well, maybe in my particular case, there's an exception. (laughs) That's how we start to think, right? In my case, uh, the Bible doesn't actually apply. Maybe I'm the exclusion. My husband is worse than... All the other husbands, my wife is harder to live with than all the other wives. My boss is worse than other employers. And then we we say to people, you just don't understand my situation, my job, my finances, my future, my parents, my kids, my need for security, my safety, my in-laws, my church, my CG. My situation's unique. 
Have you done that sometimes? I think we all have. And I think in those moments, what we need to believe is this. God never tells me to do something that's wrong. In fact, God never tells me to do something that he wouldn't do himself if he was human. You know how we know it? Because Jesus Christ proved it. His instructions, his commandments, his will, as revealed in his word, the Bible, are always, always, and for Chris Mueller, always, (laughs) always right. God never asks us to do something that is wrong. That's why we can trust that his choices are better than our choices. Can you trust him, FBC? Husbands, wives, will you trust him? You understand, don't you? I was trying to be a shepherd and help you think this out a little bit. Every time you disobey God, the reason is because you don't trust him. That's what's really going on. You don't believe that what he says is right. And and you don't have the faith to believe that he knows what he's talking about. You see, that's where we need to change our thinking, isn't it? He only ever commands us to do things that are consistent with his character. When he asks us to do hard things, and he does, he asks us to do difficult things. But he does it with full knowledge. He does it because he knows what he's talking about. And we can trust him. Let me give you a third reason, okay? A third reason why the Lord's choices are better than our choices, and it's this. It's because we are blessed when we obey him. We are blessed when we obey him. When we hear God's word, when we read God's commandments, and we put them into practice full of faith, trusting him, then... There is a blessing. And I want you to see this in Samuel because Samuel obeyed God and as a result he was protected from danger. Look at verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. He didn't dilly-dally. There's no hesitation. He did what God commanded. Now, that was Samuel. But I just want to pause for a second and I want to show you a contrast between Samuel's obedience and Saul's disobedience. So keep your finger there in 16. If you're in the notes, I think, I think actually where we're going is there. Chapter 15, I want you to see Saul's supposed obedience, which actually is no obedience at all. But look at this, 15 verse 3. God says to Saul, he says this through Samuel, he says, Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him. But put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. You might say, boy, is that right? Does God really expect the wholesale slaughter of an entire nation? And the answer is what? Well, if God commands it, it must be right. Because God only asks us to do that which is holy and just and righteous. But here's the deal. Saul has a moral dilemma on his hands. 
because now he's got to decide whether he will trust God or not. So look at verse 5. Saul came to the city of Amalek and he set an ambush in the valley and the combat takes place. Saul wins the battle, but look at verse 7. Saul defeated the Amalekites, go to verse 8, and he, what? Captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive? He wasn't supposed to do that. Now, it does say he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but, verse 9, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were not willing to destroy them utterly. Saul did not obey God. He rationalized God's instructions in his head and he decided that his morals were better than God's morals. He decided that his choices were better than God's choices. And as a result, he leaves Agag and all the best animals alive. That, folks, is what you call partial obedience. Now, I know you parents, you teach your kids, right? Partial obedience is what? Disobedience. Look at what Saul says to Samuel here in verse 13. He says, Blessed are you, Samuel, of the Lord. I, Saul, have carried out the command of the Lord. You're like, what? That's a lie. Saul just told a whopper. He didn't obey God at all. But in his heart, he had convinced himself that he had. And Samuel's like, wait a second, I can, I can hear some sounds out there. I can hear the sound of what? Some sheep out there. Where did they come from? And Saul tries to justify himself. Look at verse 20. He says, I did obey the voice of the Lord. And, and I went on the mission on, on which the Lord sent me. I've, I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, ah, oh, we understand Saul. It was the people. They were the ones who took the spoil. Now he's blame-shifting, isn't he? Isn't that what Adam did when he sinned? Who did he blame? Eve. And then Eve blamed whom? The snake. That's what we do. We blame shit. It's someone else's fault. And so Saul is trying to justify himself here in verse 20. He says, he says I did obey the voice. And then in verse 21, the people took some of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction. Why did they do it? Oh, now he's justifying even more. He says, Samuel, the people wanted to do this to sacrifice to the Lord your God. They thought, Samuel, that you would enjoy this. They thought, Samuel, that if they kept some of the spoil and sacrificed it to your God, that even you would be happy. And then Samuel says this in verse 22. It's a memory verse. You know this. To obey is better than sacrifice. FBC, God doesn't want our sacrifice. Doesn't want our religious works. Doesn't want our money. What God wants 
is faith-filled, trusting, non-rationalizing obedience. That's how you love God. You, you, know, you want to show that you have genuine faith? You want to show that you trust Him? Obey Him. That's how you prove that you trust Him. Now, this Saul and this Samuel, at least in these two instances, and I know that there are outliers, but here they act so differently from each other. Saul disobeys God and his throne is removed from him. Samuel obeys and he's protected from danger. Now, look at the story here again. Verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem, and trembling, the elders of the city came to meet him and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Yeah, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse also and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. See, Samuel trusted God, and he was obedient to the letter, and the plan worked out just as God promised. The Lord's choices are always best because when we obey him, there is blessing. Listen, what do you prefer? <laughs> what do you want out of life? God's blessing or God's discipline? It's the two options. When in life, what do you prefer, a smack or a hug? God's choices are better than ours because there's blessing when we obey him. Let, let me give you a fourth reason, and this, this is where we finish. Fourth and final reason why God's choices are better than our choices. It's because his perspective is better than ours. His perspective is better than ours. Look at verse 6. It happened that when they came, Samuel looked at Eliab. Now, Eliab is Jesse's eldest son. And Samuel looks at him and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Just amazing, isn't it? I kind of chuckle. Because Samuel is about to make the exact same mistake that Israel made 40 years earlier. I mean, he's looking at this guy, Eliab. He's tall and he's handsome. He's got all the attributes you would normally look for in a leader. But the Lord says in verse 7, he says, do not look on his appearance. Don't do that. Don't look at his height. I have rejected him. That's what God says. God had already rejected Jesse's eldest son, just like he'd already rejected Saul. And God, as you follow the story, rejects all of the other sons too. Why? Verse 7. It's because the Lord sees not as man sees. And man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks into the what? Into the heart. God has the ability to see things that we can't see. He looks into men's hearts and he sees what is really going on in there. His vista is clearer than ours. His vantage point is higher than ours. His eyesight is better than ours. His focus is more powerful than ours. Will you trust him, FBC? He sees more clearly than we do. Can you trust his choices? As it turns out, David was a handsome young man too. 
But that's not why God chose him. He was a man after God's own heart, and that's what made the difference. Listen, God's choices are always best because he sees things more clearly than we do. And he knows things that we can't. He makes his decisions based on his omniscience. Do you know everything? We don't, do we? But God does. So you might be feeling that the circumstances of your life are overwhelming. Sometimes we go through difficult things. Family problems, siblings, children, marriage, finances, illness. Sometimes things are difficult at work. Injury, personal struggles, persecution sometimes. Concerns about the future. And maybe there doesn't seem to be a point to the struggles. And, and maybe God hasn't yet revealed to you what his ultimate plan is. And, and maybe you're looking at it all and you're thinking, these trials seem so unnecessary. Why do I have to go through this stuff? And maybe you've already started to question whether God knows what he's doing. And maybe you've already wondered if you had the chance to make choices for your life rather than trusting God's choices that you think you could figure it out better than he could. Folks, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to walk out of here uplifted with full conviction that God only makes good choices. That's all he does. He has a plan. You can trust him. He is God. You can trust him. He's doing something bigger and better than you could ever imagine. You can trust him. So don't lose heart. He's sovereignly working out his purposes. He will never ask you to sin. He will bless you if you remain faithful. And he sees things more clearly than we do. He knows what he's doing, amen? And we can rest in his arms. Let's pray. Father, we confess that our faith needs to grow. We confess our trust in you needs to increase. Help us with that, Lord. Help us to believe you. And in addition to that, Lord, I'm wondering that there might be someone here who is trusting their own ways still and not yours. And I wonder if there's someone who's never really placed their trust in you. Not really. And not just for life and circumstances and trials and seasons, but even for salvation for not trusting you. Maybe there's someone who hasn't trusted you for forgiveness. Maybe they've tried to figure it out on their own. Maybe they've worked hard to earn your favor instead of believing the gospel. Maybe they've lived a good life. At least they've tried so that they might be acceptable to you and to make it to heaven on their own terms. Maybe today, Lord, they see that their choices have only led to frustration and guilt and sin and despair. Maybe today, Lord, they've learned that 
your ways are better than theirs. Your provisions are better than theirs. Your gift of salvation is better than theirs. Your way to forgiveness is better than theirs. Your word is better than theirs. And your choices are better than theirs. If that's the case, Father, please help them to repent from selfish independence and turn to trust you instead. Oh, help us, Lord. We cannot do this on our own. We need your help. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.